also just wanted to say, uh, start us with a word of prayer, because I know that this series has, um, has been deep. We've gone really deep with this uh, series on emotional health. Many of you have told me you've been reading the book, that it's been very life-changing, um, and that in some cases, really digging up some things in your life that needed to be dig dug up, and um, it's a good thing. It's a good thing when God starts to stir some things in our souls and start to change us, and it doesn't matter how young or old we are. Uh, he can be doing that in us all the way up until our last breath. So uh, I'd like us just to take a moment and just to close our eyes and just to bring ourselves before the Lord. This is our last message um, on, this, on this topic today. But Lord, we just want to come before you and open up our hearts to you. Lord, we welcome you to come below the surface. We invite you to come below the surface of our life. We invite you, Holy Spirit, come below the surface. Come into our hearts. We invite you into our memories. We invite you into our families. We invite you into every fear or anxiety, every hurt or loss, and even into every joy. We invite you, Lord, into it. May we be a whole person, Lord and give you our whole selves. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So there's a moment from my early parenting days that I'm not particularly proud of. This was when my eldest son, uh, Mark, was about six years old. And you know, in general, he was a pretty easy kid. He was probably my easiest as a young child. Um, but he was this day kind of being annoying, right? So he was not doing what he was supposed to do. He wasn't really listening to me. He was running around, kind of making messes and whatever. And then we had to go somewhere, so he was supposed to put on his shoes, and he wasn't putting on his shoes. And so I kept telling him to put on his shoes, and he kept fooling around and not getting his shoes on. And then finally we got the shoes on, and I got him out the door, and we're trying, supposed to get into the car, and he wouldn't get into the car, and he's fooling around and running in the yard, and he's not getting into the car. And my, you know, my frustration and my anger is rising up, and I finally looked at him, and I was like, Mark, will you grow up? <laughs> and without missing a beat, he looked at me, and he said, Mom, I'm just a kid. <laughs> and I just thought, you know, that's kind of how I feel sometimes when we talk about all this emotional health and how unhealthy maybe we still are. And maybe some of us are wanting to say, but I'm just a kid. I haven't grown up yet. Doesn't matter if I'm 40 or 50 or 60, you know? It's amazing, isn't it? How still, at whatever age we are, we can still get triggered by something that reminds us of our mom or dad. How we can still get angry, you know, at, at the same old thing that we've been getting angry about for 20 years, even though we know it does no good <laughs> to get angry about it. Um, it's funny, isn't it, how we just continue with that, um, that immaturity, maybe, that we still have inside of us. And God is wanting to heal that in us. He's wanting to continue to work in us. It'll be a lifelong process, I promise. We won't get it all done before we go meet him in heaven someday. Um, but it's a good thing to, to, be, to be mindful of and just allow the Lord to do in our lives. If you were here on Labor Day weekend, we had a message from, we showed a message from Jay and Danielle Pathak, who, the, um, he's the 
president of our denomination, and he was the, this was sort of the keynote address at the Vineyard USA conference. If you didn't get a chance to see it, you should listen to it. And what they talked about, the two of them together, husband and wife, talked about the stages of life, the thirds of life, the first third kind of zero to 30, then 30 to 60, then 60 and over. And one of the interesting things I thought that Jay said is he said, in our later third, in that over 60, he said, the, the biggest block to peace is unresolved hurt from the first third. I just thought that was so interesting um, that we kind of, I feel like that middle third, we just get ourselves really distracted, right? We're busy with careers and school and, and then kids and then jobs and houses and buildings and all this stuff, and we get very distracted. And so all of that can get pushed down, and it's only when we get to that final third, when we're finally loosening our grip on some of those things, and we're finally a little less distracted, maybe the kids have left the nest, whatever, and suddenly all of that early stuff comes bursting back up to the surface. Anybody hear what I'm saying here? Anybody re responding to that? Um, and so this is finally the opportunity we get. If you're in that last third, I say to you, this, it's not too late for you. In fact, you're right on time. We can still grow up. We can still grow up. Um, we've been talking these four weeks about emotionally healthy spirituality. We've been uh, leaning somewhat on the book by Pete Scazzaro called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. If you haven't read it, there's still a couple copies out there. It's a great book. But it's how we can be Christians for a very long time. We can come to church, we can know our Bibles, we can be in prayer groups, we can go to, go to service projects, we can do all of that and yet still be emotionally immature. We can still be defensive, we can still be judgmental and touchy, we can still be easy to anger, um, we can still have a trouble handling crises and stress and loss. And it's not a given when we come to Christ that we're suddenly going to grow up that we're going to be transformed. Transformational change comes from the inside as we let Jesus come below the surface. That's why we have this image of an iceberg, that everyone else only sees the top third, but there's a whole two-thirds or more below the surface. That when we let Jesus into that part of us, the part, not just the part that everyone sees, but the part that's underneath, he starts to do a transformational change from the inside out. And that's when we start to see peace, and that's what we start to see the light of Jesus in our life. And so I'm praying that for every one of us as we walk out of this series, that we are able to experience some of that in our lives. And it's going to be a lifelong process, lifelong process. Now, the scriptures have something to say about adults who are still acting like children when they should be more grown up. So I'm going to read to you from Hebrews 5, verses 11 to 14. It says this, We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Also in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 to 3, it says... Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? And it's interesting that when Christians talk about this passage, when they talk about we need solid food and not milk, what they're generally talking about in Christian circles is we need more of the Bible, you know, Bible teaching, verse by verse, exegetical teaching, use the commentaries, know the Hebrew. Like that tends to be what we think about when we think the solid food. 
But weirdly, that's not what these passages are about. I don't know where we got that interpretation of that. But um, that's not really what these passages are about. The solid food, um, and I, by the way, I have no problem with us getting into the word and going exegetically verse by verse and learning the background and learning the Hebrew. It's all really good. We need to know the word of God. It's the foundation of our faith. But the idea behind solid food versus milk in the ancient world was very different. It was not just about growing in intellectual knowledge. There's an element of that, yes, to know intellectually um, what is truth. But actually, it's also more about the difference between the immature actions of a child versus the wise, mature actions of an adult. The difference between that. Let me read to you from a first century philosopher, Philo of Alexandria. He writes that milk is the food of babies and suited for the time of childhood, but grown men should partake of more substantial fare that leads to wisdom, self-control, and virtue. Wisdom, self-control, virtue. These are not pieces of knowledge. They're the fruit of a mature inner life. That's what they are. They're, they're the actions of someone who is emotionally and spiritually mature, right? Not a child anymore. And if we look at both of these Bible verses from Hebrews and from Corinthians, which are basically a scolding, right, from, from the writer of Hebrews and from Paul um, about how mature these Christians still are when they should be more grown up, he, they're focusing less on what the person knows and more about how they're acting. They're not discerning good from evil. They're quarreling. They're jealous. They're, in short, exhibiting childish, immature, emotional behavior. And James does the same thing. He talks about what causes fights and quarrels among you. Again, he's cause, talking to Christians here. So these are all people saved by the blood of the Lamb, but he's saying you're still quarreling and you're still fighting. What causes those? And don't they come from your desires which are deep inside you? He's saying there's something below the surface that's causing you to still be quarreling. And he talks in that passage in James about coveting, um, about wrong motives. So all of this is, is how the Holy Spirit wants to do a work that's deep inside of us to make us mature on the inside. And when we are allowing the Holy Spirit to do that and start to work in us, that's when we start to see the fruit of the Spirit come out. Joy and peace and patience and kindness. So these are, these are inner emerging gifts and fruits. They, these virtues emerge from the inner side of our lives, beneath the surface of our lives. They're the sign of emotional health. They're not simply something we can paste on when we come become a Christian. We don't automatically get them when we ask Jesus into our heart. We're automatically saved. We know we're loved by the Lord Jesus. We know we're adopted into his family. We are all those things when we ask Jesus into our heart, but he still has a healing work to do in us to make us a fully formed disciple of Christ. We can't just leave out the inner work. It's a little bit like making a cake, right? You need certain ingredients that go into the cake. And when you put the ingredients all together, it's still kind of a soggy mess, right? Until you put it in the oven and you let it bake a while, and then it becomes a delicious cake. But if you leave out one ingredient, just one ingredient, right? It does not work. The thing doesn't bake. It doesn't rise. We can't leave out the inner healing work that God wants to do in every one of us. We can't leave out growing in self-awareness of our own tendencies, our own weaknesses, our own sins. Can't leave out facing conflict, facing our limits. We can't leave out confronting the inner wounds that drive us to behaviors and actions that are still hurting us, that are still perhaps hurting others around us as well. Again, it doesn't mean that if we don't do any of this, that we're not saved by the blood of the Lamb. Of course we are. You are his delightful child, and he loves you. And he's going to be with you whether you let him below the surface or not. He's always right here with you. He loves you, and he's calling you to himself. But we're going to stay as babies in Christ if we don't let God do some of this work in us to the level of the surface. So maturing emotionally and spiritually is letting the truth of God 
the presence of God, the power of God, and the person of God to go beneath the surface of our lives, being ruthlessly honest about what's there, and then allowing Jesus to create a true transformation from within. Amen? That's what, that's discipleship, that's growth in Jesus. Um, so let's do that. We can grow up in our faith. We can grow up. Um, We've been talking all these weeks about different ways we do that. I've been talking about growing in self-awareness. We've talked a little bit about family histories and how that affects our emotional health. Um, we've also talked about losses and limits and how we face those. But today I'm going to get a little more practical, okay? I'm going to give you some practical tools. How do we actually live the emotionally healthy life? What are some things we can do on a day-to-day -day basis to start to walk in this? Um, and so I'm going to be a little bit more practical today. These are, each one of them could be their own sermon, so I will do my very best to just sort of summarize and give you a taste. And um, I hope you'll read the book, and if, and if you have other questions about any of it, I'm happy to talk about it. But the first practical skill that I want to give you today is to take a Sabbath rest with God. Take a Sabbath rest with God. Anybody know what the Sabbath is? The Sabbath was that seventh day that God rested. God made the world in six days, and then he rested for a seventh day. And then he gave a commandment to his people about it, right, in Deuteronomy. It said, six days you shall labor and do all your work. The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Now, we know we're under the new covenant. We don't have to follow this in a legalistic kind of way. We know that to, even to this day, Orthodox Jews who re reveal, re, you know, regard this as the word of God, they will follow this absolutely to the letter of the law. They will do no work on the Sabbath. They don't turn on a light switch. They don't do cooking. They have to cook everything ahead of time and, and have it ready to go uh, for that day. We were in Israel, and they even have buildings that have a Shabbat elevator. And the Shabbat elevator is that on, sh on Shabbat, on, sa on the Sabbath, it stops at every single floor automatically so you don't have to do the work of pressing the button. <laughs> Let me tell you, you don't want to be stuck on the 38th floor on a Shabbat, on a Shabbat elevator because you're stopping at every floor as you go down. <laughs> But that's how they, you know, they interpret this. I, I am thankful that we are followers of Jesus. We are under the new covenant. We're not under law. We're under grace. We don't have to follow things, uh, follow the law that way. But this does not take away the value of what God was giving his people in giving them a Sabbath. He gave them one day out of seven to rest, to just be with him, to take time away from all the work, regular, refreshing, God-centered rest. Even God needed rest on the seventh day. So what makes us think we don't need it? Why do we ignore this one commandment? Um, I'm not going to tell you that your Sabbath day has to be Sunday, that it has to be a full day, that it has to be this or that, that you have to go to three church services or do a certain amount of prayer. I'm not going to tell you all of that. But I'm going to say that I know for sure that you all are just like me, and we will fill up every moment of every day if we're not careful. And we'll still be like, I'm so busy, I have no time to rest. And if we just say, I'm going to take some time, I'm going to take a full day, I'm going to take even a half day, and just devote it to rest. And maybe I'm going to take a nap, maybe I'm going to be with my family, I'm going to read a book. I started reading a novel for the first time in, I don't even want to tell you how many years, because you'll be ashamed of me, like years and years and years. I have never made the time to just sit and read a novel. I always am reading stuff for, for spiritual growth and, you know, for church and for sermons and whatever. And I just said, I'm reading a book. It's crazy. It's wonderful. <laughs> Didn't even know. I'm preaching to myself as much as you on this because this is hard for me to, to stop. To stop. 
We're like a motor that's going to keep running and running and running and running, and we will run out of gas. We will. Um, I know a few of you think, well, later, my, the next stage of life, I'll do it. And the funny thing about it is no matter what stage of life you're in, you think you're so busy you could never do it, right? So when you're in college, I can remember being in college and thinking, I got no time. I mean, I got tests to study for. Meanwhile, in college, what are you doing? You're sitting around, like, <laughs> drinking and talking until all hours of the night. You're sleeping until 12. Like, I mean, I had so much time, but I was like, oh, I'm so busy. Like, I can't get anything. And then Paul and I were married. We were married for seven years before we had any kids. What a glorious time that was. And, um, and I'm telling you, we were, like, so busy. So busy. I mean, we, can't, we don't have time to do anything. Like, people would ask us to go out. I don't know. We're so busy. We got work. We got to make the dinner. You know, and all that. we just thought we were so busy. And then, of course, you have a few kids, and then you really are busy, right? You're up at all hours of day and night. We had some kids. Then you're building your career. Then you're building a house. Then you're putting a, an addition on your house. Then you're doing this or that. Whatever it is, you're, I got to tell you, even some of you empty nesters who are retired are more busy than people I know, anyone I know. You've got your grandkids. You've got your doctor appointments, you know, whatever. Amen. Amen. Do you see what I'm saying? We will never think we have enough time to have a Sabbath. We will never have enough time. We will always have things to do, places to be, a to-do list a mile long. I love the way Pete Scazzaro puts this in the book. He says this, we stop on Sabbaths. Because God is on the throne. Assuring us that the world will not fall apart if we cease our activities. Life on this side of heaven is an unfinished symphony. Ultimately, we will die with countless unfinished projects and goals. That's okay. God is at work taking care of the universe, and he manages quite well without us having to run things. <laughs> Hallelujah. Someone say amen. So I have to tell myself this, I really want to get to the end of my to-do list. I'm a big to-do list person. I really want to get to the end of it. And you know what? I've had to tell myself my whole life, you'll never get to the end of it. Because you finish three things and you've got four more to put on, right? I mean, always. That means we're alive. Praise the Lord that we got so much to do. Right? It's a blessing that we're alive and we have things to do and people to see. But God says, take some time and rest. Take a Sabbath rest regularly, weekly, time with me. Let me put this more plainly. Your family will not fall apart if you leave dishes in the sink, if you don't do the housekeeping every single day, if you don't cook a whole dinner all the time. Your kids will survive if you say to them, I, Mom and Dad need a few hours to ourselves. You can go play in your room, and we're going to have some time. Or, or your husband or wife will not die if you say to them, I love you dearly, my dear, but I need to take a walk by myself with Jesus. Or I need to go have coffee with my girlfriend or my, my, my guy friend. You know, the world will not end if there's still laundry left in the laundry machine. The world will not end if there's dust bunnies under the bed. That's a good thing. The world will not end if that house project is stopped in the middle and you take a day and do rest. The world will not end. Take, take breaks. And how we spend our Sabbaths is important as well. The idea is it's meant to be life-giving, filling. Time with the Lord is a key part of that. It doesn't have to be the whole day. We don't have to spend the whole day in prayer. But to spend time with Jesus, to set aside time at least once a week to just talk to him and be with him and take a walk and just tell him what you're thinking and listen to what he's saying. Oh, doesn't that sound wonderful? <laughs> it's beautiful weather right now. And not necessarily today because it's raining. But, I mean, the, the, the weather's gotten cool. You take walks. Take some walks with Jesus. Just be with him. 
That's life-giving. Let's find the rhythm of Sabbath in our lives, don't we? Let's find a rhythm to stop and be with him. The second practical thing is kind of related to this, but it's kind of partly what we do as part of the Sabbath, but hopefully even more often than in the Sabbath. And this is taking regular, honest stock of our souls. Um, I reminded us of the first message in this series that self-awareness is a virtue. And the way we get to self-awareness is to ask ourselves the question, how's my soul? How am I doing? Um, To go beneath the surface a little bit. The psalmist puts it this way in Psalm 139. He says, search me, God. And know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And so here we have the psalmist asking God to come in and search him and and show him what's inside. See, this is something we do with the Lord. Um, We ask him, Lord, what am I I feeling? Um, I I think listening to our feelings is important because I believe there's a a way that God wakes us up. (laughs) When we're feeling sad, why am I feeling sad? What's happened now? Um, that I might need to bring to him. I'm feeling angry. What am I angry about? What, what's that igniting in me? And how can I bring that to Jesus? I'm, I'm feeling discouraged. I, you know, how do I bring that to Jesus? These are all kind of red flags. They're things that we can bring uh, that, that make us aware that something's going on inside. And we can bring that to Jesus. Um, I try to go on a personal day retreat. I told the board, I'm going to do this every month. And of course, I'm just confessing, I have not done it every month. Um, It's more like every two to three months that I try to get a day retreat away. But so wonderful. But one of the things, and I usually go up to St. Francis Prayer Retreat Center, which is where uh, the youth, the the women's ministry uh, retreat was. It's such a great place. Um, But I usually start the time, the day, with a little time uh, and uh, and my computer. I like to type it in and I um, will journal, um, what's the state of the Beth? You know, like, what's the state of the union? So, so what's the state of the bath? That's my question. I don't know. It's kind of dorky. But anyway, that's what I say to myself. What's the state of the bath? And I start to ask myself, what am I feeling? Um, what's going on inside? Some questions that you can ask the Lord uh, or ask yourself with the Lord next to you. Uh, what am I angry about? What am I sad about? What am I anxious or fearful about? And what am I joyful or happy about? It's also really good to notice when we're happy. Because we tend to forget next time something bad happens, oh, we're always upset. No, you actually have some really happy and joyful times as well. So these are great questions to ask the Lord and ask your heart and and to talk to the Lord about. And another good related question is, what's triggering me lately? Anything triggering me lately? And a trigger, of course, is that situation when you're you're somewhere and something happens and all of a sudden you're just so mad and no one else is mad. Um, uh, But somehow it's awakened. They mention someone's name and you just get all anxious inside. Well, it's because you have something with that person, right? And it's triggered something, maybe from your past, from a hurt. Uh, And and a a trigger is generally something that doesn't trigger other people, but it's triggering you. It's giving you a feeling um, of anxiety or anger. It usually is related to traumatic memories or... Um, broken relationships, sadnesses that are inside of us that we haven't dealt with. Again, a beautiful red flag. When you're triggered, if you have a friend that says, girl, you're being triggered, take that as a gift and ask yourself, Lord, why am I triggered by this? It's an indicator of an unhealed wound. And so start to bring it to Jesus. Let him start to heal that place. God says, bring all this stuff to me. Bring it all to me. All your happy feelings, all your sad feelings, all your angry feelings, all your triggered feelings, bring it to me. Stop telling me just what you think I want to hear. Oh, praise you, God, praise you, God, and then go on your way feeling upset. Tell him exactly what you're feeling. He can take it. He already knows, by the way, anyway. You're not telling him something he doesn't know already. 
So bring it all to him. Just start to be honest with him. And, oh, do you know what it's like? Can you imagine what it's like to just be completely open with your God? To be like an open book. To have him know your whole heart. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And know that he loves you anyway. He's not rejecting you. He just wants to be part of it with you. Part of helping you process through what you're feeling. It's such freedom. There's freedom for you. And for me. As we bring God our whole heart. So let's, let's bring him. Let's take regular stock of our soul. The third piece of practical uh, wisdom here I want to give you about uh, emotional health, and this is two big topics, but I'll cover them just briefly. One is facing conflict and setting boundaries. If, in all my years working in churches and with people, these are probably the two areas that Christians have the hardest time with, facing conflicts and setting boundaries. Um, we don't like conflict, right? We don't want to bring it up. We, don't, we like people to like us. We don't want to stir things up. Um, we get this Christian idea that somehow I'm just going to turn the other cheek and that way I'm more godly. Um, but that we're still upset about the conflict, so we haven't resolved anything. We just, you know, are ignoring it. Um, so we have such a hard time with conflict, but we also have a hard time setting boundaries. We say yes to everything until we're so worn out and our families are worn out. Um, until we're burned out. We let people take advantage of us and tell ourselves we're supposed to because we're a Christian, but then we feel angry and resentful about it. <laughs> Anybody hearing what I'm saying today? So um, here's a few things that you might recognize in yourself, a few unhealthy ways we tend to approach conflict. Um, one is blaming. You know, it's always their fault. We can never seem to see that sometimes it's our fault. Um, we're not able to admit fault. We might ask our, we never ask ourselves the question, what may I have done to contribute to this problem, to this conflict. Um, going along with blaming is, well, it's their problem, and so they can come to me if they want to talk about it. <laughs> That's one of the things we do, whereas uh, a healthy way is to say, if someone has anything against me, I'm going to go to them and talk to them. So um, how can I take the first step? So blaming is one thing we do uh, as an unhealthy way of handling conflict. Appeasing is another, kind of a different way. This is just making peace at all costs, just saying whatever the person wants to hear. Um, because we don't want to raise any conflict. So it's, we have a peace, but it's a false peace, right? Because we haven't actually told uh, how we're feeling. Uh, we're still upset with the conflict. Um, but we don't want people to be mad at us, so we just make things feel, make appease. I've known marriages where one or the other of the partner has been appeasing for 40 years. It's not right. It's time to say truth in a kind way, in a loving way, but to say this is bothering me. Um, that's what needs to happen in the course of a happy marriage, a healthy marriage. Gossiping, of course, we know about this one. This is talking about the problem, the conflict with everyone else except the person it's about. <laughs> we go around to everyone else because we don't want to do the conflict because we're probably avoiding the conflict, but um, we talk about it with everyone else. It happens a lot. It happens a lot in churches, unfortunately. Um, you know, the pastor says something people don't like or a leader says something and everyone's gossiping about it, but the poor pastor doesn't know what's happening. <laughs> so I would just tell you today, if there's something you don't like about what I say or some way I've hurt your feelings, please just talk to me about it. Just come straight to me. Um, I'm not going to bite your head off. I'm going to listen because it's so important to me that we have healthy relationships in the body of Christ. Let's not gossip uh, about each other. 
The third one, or fourth one, I don't know what number we're on here, fourth one, is uh, ignoring. This is what a lot of us do. We just ignore the conflict, hope it'll go away, um, figure if we just, you know, turn the other cheek and, you know, forgive, then it'll be all done with. Um, the problem with this is it's just like when we hide our emotions and don't acknowledge our emotions, it's a false peace. It's um, we're, just, we're just suppressing them, and we're suppressing the conflict. At some point, it will burst out. Um, and again, I, I use a marriage example. I know people in marriages who have ignored things that the other person's doing that is consistently hurting them or harming them or, or um, just disturbing them, and they never talk about it. And so years and years and years go by, and you raise kids, and you're distracted, and you do all this stuff, and they get to the, the time when the kids are out, and, the, and they think, what what, why am I still married to this person? I've seen this happen with so many of my friends. Because they never talked about what was bothering them way back when. Um, so ignoring. And the last one, of course, is canceling. This is common in our culture today. Just, just ghost them, you know, just defriend, don't answer any more texts, and it's done. Um, of course, this is very passive-aggressive, right? It's passive because you don't have to say anything to the person, you, but it's very aggressive. Uh, also an unhealthy way to handle conflict. Jesus made a very strong statement about handling conflict. I think this is maybe the only thing we need to know from the Bible about conflict. Matthew 5, 23. He said, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. By the way, he doesn't say what it is. He doesn't say if it's a big thing or a little thing. He doesn't say if it was your fault or his fault. He doesn't, doesn't say any of that. He just says, if your brother has anything against you, then... Leave your gift there in front of the altar. Get up from church and go. Don't bring your gift to the altar. Leave it there and first go be reconciled to them. Come and offer your gift. It's amazing. This is how important it is to Jesus that he would rather you gave up for a time the worship that you're about to give him and go make things right with your brother or sister. I think that's just remarkable. Um, it's very strong. And we can do this. We can be bold and be the one who says, I'm going to go make things right with this person. As much as I'm able, we may not be able to always make everything right, but as much as I'm able, I'm going to go to this person and we're going we're to talk about this conflict, this thing. They may not even know there's a conflict. <laughs> or maybe they do. Maybe they know more than you think. I had a woman in, my, in our women's ministry back up in New York um, whom I was kind of mentoring. She was a little younger than me and she was going to kind of come up and she ended up leading the women's ministry for many years after I left. And um, she, one of the things, she said, this is one of the things I told her that was probably the most helpful thing to her as a leader. And I said to her, if you ever feel anything from another person, a little weirdness, they've stopped talking to you, they kind of seem to avoid you, maybe there's a, they've said a few little comments that are a little hurtful or just a little passive-aggressive kind of, you're kind of wondering what's all that about, or they just seem like they're hurt, or maybe they express that they're hurt about something, um, whatever it is, if they're acting a little strange, you get a weird vibe from them, I said to her, go to them right away. Don't let it go. Don't wait and say, well, yeah, I probably made it up. No, you probably didn't. You probably didn't, if you know that person at all. Go to them right away and talk to them. Don't email them. Don't text them. Oh, God, no. Don't try to resolve conflicts on text. It will not work. It just gets worse. Go to them in person and say, how are you doing? Is there anything I've done to offend you? Is there something bothering you? And listen, hear them out, talk to them, resolve it. And you might say, I hate doing that. <laughs> of course you do. We all do. <laughs> Nobody loves conflict. Well, there's probably a few of you who might. And <laughs> some people love conflict and let's get it out. And, you know, those people we need to have a different conversation with. 
Um, but it's so important that we value that person enough, and that's where it comes down to to me, we value them enough that we're going to go to them and say, I want to th- make things right. I want to know if there's something I've done, if there's something, maybe there's something they've done that's kind of been bothering you, and you need to go to them and say, look, I love you, but this, is, this hurts me when you do this, or this is hard when you do this. Can we talk about it? This is part of being an emotionally healthy person. Being an emotionally healthy person means we love each other and we want to honor God so much that whether you have something against them or they have something against you, you're going to go to them. They're worth it. And you're worth it. Your feelings are worth it. And this honors God and it makes for a healthy church. Amen? Amen. I feel like that is something... If every church could learn that, we would be so much further along in our walk with Christ. Just go to them um, in person. And part of setting, uh, handling conflict in this way might be setting boundaries. And so that's another thing um, that, we, that we need to do. Um, knowing that you can't solve every problem. You can't solve other people's problems for them necessarily. You can help. Um, but there's a boundary that you might have to set. Your time is valuable. And so you may have to make choices about how long you're going to take trying to work something out with somebody. Um, knowing that you're free to love a person and care for them, but you're also free to say, I'm not going to be able to help you here. I'm not going to be able to do this for you. You know, I just, I don't have the time, I don't have the ability, or um, it's not something that I feel God's calling me to do. And so we can say that lovingly to one another and know that God will take care of them. And some people, in some ca- times, some cases people will receive it well, and sometimes they won't. And that's okay too. We have to be okay with conflict and setting boundaries. Not every conflict can be resolved, not every boundary uh, is well received, but we can do as much as it depends on us. I love Romans twelve eighteen that says, "If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone." Have we made peace with everyone that we can? Have we are we uh, um, going after those conflicts when they come up with uh, the emotionally healthy response of loving them and hearing them and listening to them? So the the last thing I want to talk about here, the last practical piece of advice, the last practical piece of wisdom on being emotionally healthy is loving and respecting yourself and others. And it's really under, undergirds all of the rest of what I've been talking about. At the end of the day, much of being an emotionally healthy person is letting love be your guide, loving others and loving yourself because God loves you and he cares for you. Um, when all else fails, let that be your guide. But, the, but love is, this is not a, uh, I'll do anything you ask me to do, I'll be a doormat kind of love. It's not that kind of love. It's also not, oh, it's always going to feel good all the time kind of love, right? It's not always the flowers and hearts kind of love. It is a tough love sometimes. Um, But I love 1 Corinthians 13. We read this in weddings as if it's like no big deal. But man, if you can live this, (laughs) you've got got it going. Um, Love is patient. Love is kind. Does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not uh, dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. That's, that's good. That's an emotionally healthy kind of love right there. It's the kind of love that keeps no record of wrongs, but also speaks the truth in love. Do you see that? Isn't that cool? We're both not keeping the record, but we're also going to speak the truth in love. They're not easily angered, but also not delighting in evil. Going to, going to address evil. It's, you know, other scriptures talk about that we, this kind of love, you, you bear others' burdens, but you also realize that we each have to bear our own load. What a good boundary verse. 
that is, but we, we have to bear our own load as well. Um, we're peacemakers, but we also go to our brother. We're not afraid of conflict. We'll go to our brother uh, when they have something against us. Pete Scazzaro puts it this way. To discover the otherness of a spouse, friend, boss, child, and coworker, and to see them as a separate, unique human being without losing yourself is the Copernican revolution of emotional maturity. Treating the other person with respect, that their opinions matter, their feelings matter. Even if you don't agree with them, you think they're kind of half-baked, why do they feel that way? It matters to them. And so it should matter to you and me, right? Um, we treat others with respect. We don't have to cave in to their views, but we also, we also treat ourselves with respect, that we can have our own understanding of things and we can speak our own feelings. Uh, again, in love, in kindness, we can set reasonable boundaries of our own time and energies. This is how we love each other. Look, it's no virtue to love people who love you and are easy to love, right? That's easy. That's the easy part. Um, the quality of our love for others truly comes out in how we handle conflicts and how we treat each other in our differences. That's the quality when our quality of our love really shines. I want to say that again. The quality of our love for others truly comes out in the handling of our conflicts and in how we treat each other and our differences. I want you to look around the room. Just for a second, go ahead and just look. Every person in here is made in the beautiful image of God, precious to him, worthwhile, loved by him, worthy of respect, and worthy of you putting yourself on the line to be at peace with them. I'm sure there will be conflicts in this room. If there aren't any already, there probably are some already. So of course there's going to be conflicts. Of course there's going to be disagreements and differences. But they, each one of these people in this room is so valuable that they're worth enough for us to, to cross the bridge and hear from them. And I want to say something else. You're valuable too. You're made in the image of God. And you're valuable. So your thoughts and your feelings matter. Your boundaries matter. Whether you're burned out and tired or stressed out, it matters. It matters to God. It matters to us. That's what a family's for, right? A good, healthy family is that we love each other. So as we finish this series, I ask you one last time. Will you let God come below the surface of your life? Will you let him come below, beneath that waterline? The part that we show everyone else is showing up on top, but will we let him come below the waterline? And maybe you can only let him come a little bit. It just scares you to go all the way down. So you say, I'm going to just give him a little bit. That's good. That's awesome. Just let him come a little bit. And then maybe next year, bring him a little bit lower. We're going to let him come below the waterline. This series has been about discipleship. This is discipleship or sanctification, the biblical word, the theological word, for growing in our faith. Um, out on the lobby, we have a document that's the Vision and Distinctives of Gate City Vineyard. I don't know if anyone's, way, anyone's ever read it, but it's good, it's good reading. Uh, it'll put you to sleep at night. But the, the, the first distinctive or of, uh, under the category of caring for the whole person says this. Each person is wonderfully made in the image of God and reflects him in body, mind, and spirit. Each of us can come to him just as we are. He is able to bring restoration and healing. We intentionally foster lifelong spiritual growth and discipleship to Jesus. 
see, because you are made in the image of God, because I'm made in the image of God, we're worth it. We're worth letting God come below the surface. He wants to come below the surface. This is growth and discipleship in Jesus. This is how we become a whole person in Christ. Be fully formed disciples of Christ as we let him below the surface. And let me just say this right now, as I said at the very beginning of this whole series. You don't have to go there. If all of this just, just freaks you out, and you're like, I can't, I don't know, I don't, I, I don't know how to do that. You don't have to. You are saved by the blood of Jesus, okay? You're saved by grace, not by works. You come to Jesus, and you confess your sins to him, and you say, I, I want to be your child. And you're his child. He loves you. And you can keep coming to church, and you can forget everything about the last four sermons that I just gave. You can love him and serve him just as you are. But I also hope, what I awesomely hope and pray for each one of you and for myself is that we will allow God to go a little bit deeper in us. That we will invite him into this new season, this new time of coming below the surface of our lives and starting to heal you and me. I guarantee you he has something better for you and me. He has a plan not just for your living, but your thriving, for your growing, for your being free, to be able to walk into a situation where there's conflict and be at peace, be calm, be confident, be able to be a peacemaker, to be the kind of person that can, you know, knows that you've had some hurts in your past, but you've, you've given those to Jesus and you've processed them, and now you're able to comfort others with the comfort that you've received. He wants us to thrive. He has health for us in mind. He wants us to be able to get in a situation that ordinarily would trigger all our anger and be able to just take a moment and just let the Lord come deep below the surface. Let the Holy Spirit come, and he starts to calm that anger down. You start to get amazed. Wow, I don't react like I used to. Because God's begun working below the surface. We've allowed the Holy Spirit to come below the surface. He's calling you and me. He's wooing us to thrive. I want to close with these last two verses. Promises from our Lord to us as we seek him for the whole of our lives. Psalm 1-3, you will be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. And Psalm 52, but I am like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. Oh, he has flourishing for us. Church, amen. Let's, let's close our eyes. Let's pray. Lord God, this is going to take a leap of faith for some of us. Lord, to allow you below the surface of our lives. But we want to thrive, Lord. We want to be filled with your spirit. We don't want to stay where we are, Lord. We want to move forward in healing and wholeness and health. Just as the Lord is, is bringing to mind in each one of us an area Maybe we have a hard time resting. Maybe we have a hard time feeling our feelings and thinking about them. Maybe we find that we just burst out in anger all the time. We don't know why. Maybe we're sad a lot of the time. Maybe we're struggling with a loss. I'm going to invite you to take that that thing as if it's in your hand and just bring it to Jesus right now. Invite him to come below the surface.
want Jesus to come below the surface of your life in a new way, I'm just going to invite you as a way of kind of like putting your body behind it to just stand so that we can pray for you. But you want, you want to go deeper with Jesus. You want to let him below the surface of your life. You maybe don't know what that looks like yet. I'm just going to invite you to stand. It's a way of saying, yes, Lord, I want this. I want this. And I might be afraid, and I might be wondering what it's going to be like, but I, I know I can trust you. You're calling me higher, calling me deeper. Oh, Holy Spirit, come. I pray for each person who's standing here, Lord, who's saying, I want more. opening fully to you. Pray for healing. Pray for healing from old traumas and wounds, Lord, that we haven't dealt with yet. Let's just pray for healing. and be prayed for if you'd like. We have prayer teams, one in the back and one in the front. Um, welcome to stay in that posture right now, just offering yourself to Jesus.